This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey guys, welcome back to the MVM show. I'm Titus, and I'm joined today by Kevin and also Mark Henley. He's been on here one other time, actually all three of us together. And uh, we got a lot of good information for Californians, if you're a California duck hunter, and then we'll talk about some other stuff that involves everybody from wherever you're listening to on this moment. So we appreciate everybody that's tuning in, and uh, lots of downloads coming in. Guys are more people so we appreciate all the new people that are listening to the podcast and uh, again check out the mvm show podcast group page on facebook if you're you're into facebook and you like getting in those groups a lot of new people have joined i think like 350 since last week so a lot of people are joining it and just putting up pictures and interacting with everybody so it's it's been pretty cool so you can check that out but we're gonna get into i believe first mark we're gonna get into and by the way, thanks for coming on again. Um, but we're going to get into yeah. the water, uh, the flooding up first. We're going to talk about that. So do you want to go ahead and give us what you got for what's going on with the flooding up the refuges and stuff? Yeah, just um, generally speaking, of course, with the drought, you know, that's really impacting the fall flood up on a lot of the public areas up and down the state. Um, so I would expect, I mean, if you're a public land hunter, there's going to be significant reductions in hunter quotas in a, a lot of areas and even some closures, um, unfortunately, on some refuges for a time uh, just because of the water situation that's so dire this year. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I would say if you're able to find uh, a place to hunt, if you're lucky enough to get drawn or willing to sit in the sweat line for hours on end um, <laughs> and you get on, you know, the hunting early should actually be pretty good because there's going to be so little wetland habitat out on the landscape. You know, these birds are going to be concentrated on areas where you do have water. So in that sense, the, the hunting, you know, particularly the first week or two, I think should be pretty good. Okay. Um, I don't know about you guys, but personally, I like on the opener, if I get on onto a public area to check out their the fishing game and us fish and wildlife service flooding flood flood up maps mm -hmm. um and determine when those areas each pond was flooded up mm -hmm. and try to focus on the ponds that were flooded say in august or september early flooded ponds those seem to typically hold a lot more birds than mm -hmm. say stuff that was flooded up a week or two earlier yep. you know prior to the opener and especially uh, the mallards seem to be in there pretty good, you know, in that early water. Mm -hmm. So it's just one thing um, you can do to try to maximize your chance for success. Um, yeah. 
That's something yeah, I, actually I've never even said. I knew that, and that's but you forget what you know that maybe other people don't know. So that's really actually a good point that I've never even said on here or our videos. You know, check the flood maps. That's a great tip. I appreciate you bringing that up because I never even thought to tell people about that. The earlier the flooding, the more birds have been in there and been used yeah. to it and just have that habit of going back in there. Hashtag first water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there you go. And I think that, Titus, that particularly true for your area down there on the grasslands, you know, places like Los Banos and Volta do a lot of early flooding. And if you're able to find out which one's got the first water, you'll have a pretty good opportunity on, on mallards over there. So um, yeah. particularly that area, that rule applies. Um, so, you know, because of the drought and the access being difficult, um, but the hunting can be good late. You know, there is also the hunting also with the reduced amount of flooded habitat can be good, good, particularly late in the season. What we saw in 2014 and 15, that drought, it produced actually some of the best hunting on public areas mm -hmm. that we've ever had. That. If you guys remember, and you can go on fishing games website to see this stuff, the average, um, in 2014, and 15, those two years was 2.5 and 2.6. I mean, in most years, we're lucky if we can shoot a two bird average. So it jumped up, you know, that amount. And, um, you know, I, I, I just remember those years as being phenomenal hunting, particularly like the last week or two of the season when there just wasn't a lot of other habitat available. Mm -hmm. I think the difference though this year is, you know, we, we don't have a lot of production coming out, waterfowl production out of the prairie pothole region yeah. or parts of Canada. Um, in 2014 and 15, those areas were wet. So that may make it a little bit harder on us this year. You know, not only are we having problems producing our own ducks here in California, but a lot of the areas north just don't, uh, or didn't have very good production. Now, the exception for that, I heard, up in northern Canada, where a lot of the green-winged teal nest, that those areas did pretty good. So, if you're a grasslands hunter, I, you know definitely expect the teal to be coming down in, in good numbers again this year. And then, as you guys know, I mean, with the one sprig limit, <laughs> um, which is so frustrating, but you know there's still enough sprig out there, even though they may take a little hit on their population that. Most people, if they're hunting flooded rice or an open water area, they should be able to get their bull sprig, no problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So, so anyway, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of similarities with that 2014 and 15, and I, I think, um, you know, at least early in the season, it'll probably play out in a similar range. Um, so that means, again, if, if you are able to get on a refuge, you should be looking at some good hunting. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I was kind of wondering that because of the drought and, like you said, the Prairie Pajo region. I mean, we already know that, like you said, you shoot your one pin trick pintail, and it's just like after that, it's like a thousand of them come in there. I mean, do you think we're probably not even going to notice any difference, right? I mean, we're still going to see a ton of pintails, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. No, there's still, I mean, we winter 60% of the entire continental uh, population of pintail. That's really? how many of. Uh, that's the proportion of birds that come into Sacramento Valley, San Joaquin Valley to winter. So we just, uh, you know, it's a blessing, but it's also a curse because, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, we're limited to that one bird. But um, the good thing is if you do have habitat that's conducive to that species, I mean, you should have no problem getting your bird every time out. Yeah. So yeah. it's good. Hmm. Hey, Mark, I got a question for you. Yeah, you know we were drawing some parallels from fourteen and fifteen, like you said the the years with the drought in fourteen and fifteen, right? Now were the were the refuge quotas reduced as well back in fourteen and fifteen, like they, they were, will be this year? Yep, okay. I would say okay. there's a lot of similarities there. So yeah, it's the same thing. Just back then, it was uh, significantly reduced quotas on you know, many of the areas up and down the state. And, you know, we're also, I, I think well, another difference though, is this year there's not going to be much flooded rice either. So in a typical year, we have about this for Sac Valley, of course, 
We have about 250,000 acres of flooded rice. This year, we're going to be lucky if we even have 100,000 acres. So mm-hmm. that's going to even further, um, you know, concentrate those birds on the managed wetlands that do have water. So, again, from a hunting standpoint, that's going to be a good thing. Right. People will be able to reap the uh, rewards of that. If you can get in. If yeah. you can get in. Yep. Yeah. And and that, I, it's funny. We kind of looked at each other and nodded because when you said about how 14 and 15 were good for the refuges, because that's what I was telling Kevin, I, and he's like, yeah, and, you know, I never thought of that before, but it's making, it's congregating those birds. But, again, like you said, then you're busy with a bazillion hunters. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know. You you can get out on your Wednesdays and not be too bad. It's just the Saturdays and Sundays that get pretty, pretty uh, backed up. I think it feels like yeah. people staying out it's longer. Do, it's doable though. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's kind of the norm. Yeah, it really is in California. D- yeah, yeah. But well, that- I think I think one of the things you know most hunters realize too is no matter what the water year is that first week of hunting on the refuges particularly the first three hunting hunting days are really good yeah and so if you're gonna hunt and take the time to do it you know take advantage of those days if you can because that's pretty much a guarantee of above average hunting as opposed to the rest of the season Mm mm-hmm yeah, and absolutely. and sometimes you'll even get that second Saturday will be pretty good too. I mean, it just it seems to me like it takes the birds a few days to get used to all the shooting mm-hmm. before they settle into the sanctuary areas. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, do you want to? Do you have any more as far as that goes, or do you want to go into like um, the the water? Um, as far as the well, you talked about. You didn't really go in detail about the flood ups, right? Because you said about kind of how you can use yeah. that to your advantage. But I mean, did you want to talk about the refuges? Yeah, what I can do is go through each region and uh, try to let you guys know what I'm hearing in terms of how each refuge is looking uh, with their flood up and hunter quotas. Okay. So if you want, I'll, I'll start up in the northeast zone. Okay. Um, as you all know, Lower Klamath continues to have, you know, really serious water problems. And that's been one of the most vexing, difficult, you know, political situations I've ever dealt with on any issue. I mean, I've been doing, you know, my work at CWA for 20 years. And this is the Klamath issue is probably the most difficult one I've ever had to deal with. Um, So we're working on it. And eventually, hopefully it'll be worked out to where the refuge gets more water and we maintain that, you know, waterfowl population, that hunting opportunity there, but it's going to take some time Mm. right now. What we're doing is we're trying to acquire permanent water rights for, for the refuge. This would be a sale of, of water um, from a willing landowner um, to send their water to the refuge and it would be in perpetuity. So once you get a hold of that water, right, you have it, forever and you can call on it at any time during the year so it really does help to uh, make sure that you have a reliable supply year in and year out Mm -hmm. Um, the 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 one we're working on right now is a transfer of water to unit two so so there's only if you were to go out and look at lower klamath right now there's only one unit that has any water on it there should be you know six or seven but um unit two near the highway state Mm -hmm. line highway Mm -hmm. That's the big sanctuary unit. It does have some water in it, and we're trying to make sure that that water is maintained. And we've heard from the Department of uh, or Oregon Department of Water Resources that they approved the transfer. We're just now waiting for the Bureau of Reclamation to uh, turn on the head, uh, the head gates um, and release that water into the refuge. So hopefully that'll be forthcoming here in the next couple of days. Oh, um, okay. Okay, is that yeah. is that the thirty seven hundred acre feet water? Acre feet, correct. Oh, cool. Because yeah. I I thought we were talking, Kevin. You didn't know if it was going to even be soon, right? No, no. Or, well, I wanted to ask you, Mark, if yeah, from the from the emails, it looked like it was kind of imminent, right? Getting this it water. Is. Yeah, yeah. I expect we're going to get this resolved in the next day or two. Oh wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay, okay so, so and that's a, go ahead. Okay, <clears throat> yeah. Can you give us? Can you paint us a picture, Mark, of how? Like, in terms of uh, look on Unit 2, what that 3,700 acre feet of water would look like? 
That's great. Yeah. So, so unit two is definitely a big unit. Um, mm-hmm. But the good thing is because there was water in it earlier, it's all charged up. So the water we do put in there, it's not going to sink into the ground. It's going to raise that water up, level up pretty quick. Mm. Um, given that, you know, we've had to wait this long for our transfer to go through, you know, we're not getting the full benefit of it. We're not getting as much water as we originally were supposed to get. But I, I still think it'll be enough to get that unit back up. It should be, you know, then more attractive to fall migrators. We're certainly going to save a lot of waterfowl broods and molting birds that were sitting in there too that yeah. would have otherwise been stranded and died or picked off, you know, by predators. Uh-huh. Um, so, um you know, there should be good water then in there, hopefully for the next couple months. And then, you know, at that, depending on how the temperatures go and everything else, um, you know, it would be good if we could get an extra shot of water to supplement that. But, you know, that's so far down the line. You know, I just don't know what the Bureau of Reclamation is going to be able to do in terms of providing more water to that unit. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but at least it looks like we are going to get this water in the short term. Okay, cool. Um, what, what's usually the, what's it take to fill up unit two? Do you know what acre feet? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't have the size of that unit. I know the units up there are huge. I mean, there's some there, I believe are over a thousand acres. Um, they're that large. Um, what it generally is in terms of water is you, for every three acre feet of water that you deliver to a unit, you flood up one acre because there's that much loss due Mm. to, you know, the ground being dry and just the conveyance losses along the way. Now, again, the good thing is these wet, that wetland is currently charged with water. And so I think we're going to get more bang for our buck in there when we deliver this water in. So hopefully it'll be able to, if, if it doesn't fill it entirely, it should be able to fill it certainly more than like 50% full, okay. which it's, it's such a large unit that's going to provide a lot of surface acre, ac- acreage surface area for the birds to use. And that's for cla- lower, lower Klamath. Yes. Okay. Now yeah. how long, just out of curiosity, how long will that take to do that, to get all that water out? How many days? Yeah, it's probably all take, uh, my guess would be a couple weeks okay. to get all that water in there. Okay. So it won't, it won't happen overnight. Right, right. I'm just curious how long you guys kind of stretch that out, if there's a system there, or if it just constantly runs day and night. It's going to go over day and night. Day and night, huh? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay. So then in terms of, you know, the opportunity at Lower Klamath, of course, that unit's in the closed zone. There really is not going to be any flooded habitat opportunity um, for the season. But as you guys all know, they do have a lot of grain fields over there that once they're harvested, they'll open up for hunting. So that, that'll be the focus of the hunting program. For lower climate this year will be on those dry harvested grain fields, which frankly can shoot really good. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are not set up for field hunting. You know, it takes a lot of equipment and effort, but for those that are, you know, the hunting could be pretty good over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. At least it provides some opportunity. That's good. We haven't had yep. that in a few years. Yep. Okay. So that, so then moving over to Thule Lake, um, I think most people are aware that Sump 1A is dry. Um, It was drawn down this year for maintenance purposes. What they're trying to do there is increase the water holding capacity of the sump and also encourage waterfowl food plants. Um, It's never been dried out completely, so this is kind of a first for that wetland. Mm -hmm. Um, But that tells me, too, that it's it's long overdue, Mm -hmm. Um, something that really... uh, Probably should have been done a long time ago, but it's good that they finally got around to it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that, that normally is a big hunting unit and, you know, it's probably going to remain dry and not be available for hunting this year. So that leaves, of course, sump 1B, which is the smaller sump Um, that currently has a lot of water in it and they are continuing to fill it up. I think it's risen about seven tenths of a foot. Um, in the last couple weeks. Um, so they've been able to get that water level up. That's going to help prevent the botulism, maybe not prevent it, but reduce mm-hmm. any kind of uh, outbreak that might occur, though. 
yeah. there. Yeah. I, I haven't I haven't heard of a botulism outbreak on some one B this year, so that's good. So we may actually be able to avoid that entirely. Um, but anyway, that unit's going to be looking good. But because it's the only flooded unit over there, I think they're going to keep that closed, and that will not be ho- open for hunting at least early in the season. Um, there will, like Lower Klamath, be dry you know field hunting opportunities. Um, but that's, that's what I would look for, for the openers. You're probably going to have to hunt a dry field if you want to hunt Tule Lake. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they've, I don't know if they've officially came out and said that, but I think that was the, uh, consensus you come up there first come first served for fields. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, well, like you said, we, we haven't heard of a botulism outbreak. That's good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's because really, that's really lot, good news. Because a lot of those birds that would be in there are going to be birds that bred in other parts of California, essentially our local mallards. And, you know, last year, of course, many of them bred down here in the valley and then just went up to Klamath to die from disease. Right. So if we can avoid that this year, that should help our local mallard population out quite a bit. Yep. That's that's yep. what we want to hear. That's the plan. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then, yeah, then going over to Modoc, you know, over there on the east side, um, that um, had a lot of good water early, and then they had to unfortunately shut it off the river that they were getting water from. They got a curtailment order, so they couldn't um, get water out of the river. So most of the, uh, if not all, of the hunt area went dry, and I think a part of the sanctuary as well. The good thing is they're starting to reflood there, and um, they're probably still looking at a delayed opener with a reduced quota, but I, I think they will open up for hunting, um, at some point in October. So that'll be good. Okay. Okay. And they'll, they'll just start off with the, with the guys who got drawn. They'll just yeah. put, <laughs> yep. be pushed back. L- luckily me and my kids were one of those people. There so you go. We're, we're, we're really wanting to see that one open up. So yeah, hopefully it'll be a pretty good shoot, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then some of the, you know, the state areas up there, it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, we have places like Shasta Valley. It looks like that's going to be closed entirely for the season. Trout Lake is the only water uh, right now on that property. And um, it's just that place has got severe water restrictions right now. So I, I wouldn't expect any early hunting there. Um, Butte Valley, which is kind of nearby, did get some funding to do some groundwater pumping. So they should have quite a few wetland units open for waterfowl hunting for the opener. So that's a one bright spot um, up in that neck of the woods. Ash Creek, um, that has a pretty good ability to flood up now, um, the way they kind of manage their ponds. So that should have um, definitely some water, probably a little bit reduced quota, hunter quota from last year, but it will certainly be open for hunting for the opener. Okay, okay. Nope. At least that's the latest I've heard. So, um, and then, uh, places like Willow Creek and Honey Lake, um, it looks like it'll be somewhat of a more limited flood up than last year. So you're probably looking at reduced hunter quotas there, but I do believe those areas will be open. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Noted. And then I, I know a lot of people also hunt some of the reservoirs up there and, you know, particularly in Plumas County, like uh, Lake Almanor and then Walker Lake, which is over in Lassen. Um, those reservoirs are really low. And, of course, we had that Dixie fire go right mm. through that area. Yep. So I haven't gone out and looked at it yet, but my guess is with the fires, you know, the low water, and then the, the forest service closures around that area, it may be pretty difficult to get in there to hunt. Um, so... Um, I would expect the opportunities there to be not as good as they've been in previous years. Yeah. Where are they going to go now? Those hunters, right? I know. Impact these Um, other areas. Well, that's the whole thing with this. The more you take some of these, uh, refuges and hunting areas off the table, you know, it's, it's going to force people to other areas and create the crowding issues. And, you know, then we're just going to have a lot of people kicking rocks in the parking lot, Mm. which I know is frustrating. But again, what are you going to do? It's a drought year. These things happen. We just all have to roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, 
the theme here in California. You got to yep. roll with it. Yep. Got to be adaptable. Yep. And, you know, if your favorite refuge isn't flooded up, you know, find Keep looking, another place. Yep. Yep. And maybe it's an opportunity for you to learn a new area. And that's always a good thing, right? Uh, you absolutely. Know, you, you got to keep learning as you do this. No, no, as much as we've all been doing this for so long, I don't think any of us have it fully figured out. No. So, yeah, absolutely oh, not. This, this always is, good to try something new. Right? This is the year to turn those lemons into lemonade. Exactly. <laughs> there you Just go. Just need a little like sugar. <laughs> Just need a little bit of sugar is all you need. Some man. real sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. This is definitely the year to uh, diversify. That's my thing. You just got to, I mean, you really got to stay positive. It's not like birds are just going to disappear, you know. It's just, oh, well, we don't have enough water. No, duck, Ducks aren't going to be here now. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Not getting my I mean, license. You're not going to stop something that's been, it's bred into these birds to migrate, you know. I mean, yeah, you may not be as good as one year versus the other, but yeah. Just stay positive. Yeah, for sure. And uh, real quick, Mark, going back to Tule Lake. You know how it, it's sump is pretty dry, virtually dry. Um, yep. That's going to be the theme next year too, right? I mean, because they actually want to do some work in there. I think it was yeah. still a little too wet this year, although it looked dry. So it's it's going to be dry next year as well. That's what I heard. It's kind of a longer term project, and they want to get in there and you know get as much work done as they can before they reflood it. So. Yeah, um, I'm not sure the exact timetable, but yeah, at least for the the short term, it's going to be dry. Right. So we'll uh, take a couple losses now for some big gains later yeah. on. Hopefully, exactly. Yeah. That's the way yeah. you got to look at it. And every wetland, you know, that we hunt out there, if it's a managed wetland, it just requires periodic, you know, kind of revamping and dirt work, and it mm-hmm. just that's that's the way these things are managed. I mean, they get to a point where you know, the wetland has gone through such a successional stage that it really doesn't provide very good habitat. And you, if you don't go back in there and rework it, it just really becomes um, not a very attractive place for ducks. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. another one of those lemons into lemonade. I mean, they've talked about trying to get equipment in there for years mm-hmm. into something, yeah. right? But they were never going to do it themselves, lower that thing. Right. right, just just to do it. Right. So this is a this is the opportunity to do it, you know. So we can draw some positives from a from a mega drought. Yep. You know. Yep. No, so. this is definitely long overdue. Um, so yeah, moving then down to the Sac Valley. Um, I mentioned. I mean, there's not going to be a lot of ri- rice, flooded rice on the landscape, um, which is a bad thing if you're one of the clubs that's not going to get flooded up. Um, so there may be some loss of hunting opportunity there, but again, for people that do have water, that's probably going to benefit their hunting. Um, there is, uh, some funding out there, public funding that we're working on with the rice commission and ducks unlimited that would provide some, um, public monies for groundwater pumping. So the, that would help the rice guys out. But I don't think there's enough funding to really, you know, pump that up that acreage significant, significantly. I mean, if we get, I don't know, 15 to 20,000 more acres flooded, I'd be pretty happy and surprised with that. So, yeah, but it, but it will hunt, uh, help some landowners that otherwise wouldn't be able to flood their, their rice fields. I wonder how they decide who gets that money. Yeah. There'll, there'll be some criteria set up and, you know, they definitely want to make sure that you'll have the ability then to maintain that water throughout the season because if it doesn't rain, you know, you got to consider that. I mean, some of these areas, if you don't get uh, rainfall, I mean, they're just going to end up being mud puddles. Mm-hmm. So there, there has to be a reasonable guarantee that they can maintain it throughout the season. And like I said, there'll, there'll be other criteria to make sure that, you know, kind of the best areas are selected and that we're not uh, focusing on areas that are going to offer limited uh, habitat. And this is for pub, pub, well, there's not really any public rice. These are going to be clubs flooded. Correct. It's all for private lands. Yep. And there's also, believe it or not, a wetland component to that too. There's about $2 million that'll be 
be available for private duck clubs. And the details on that are still a little bit sketchy, but for duck clubs that have groundwater pumps, um, they'll be able to apply for funding and hopefully, um, you know, get some money to help offset their costs for pumping. Okay. All right. Get some, get some subsidies there, huh? Yep. Okay. You no, know, okay. you know, it's a, Hey, you know, these guys are providing habitat that doesn't just benefit ducks and geese. It's, you know, all sorts of species benefit by it. You know, a lot of them are under state or federal easements or some other um, agreement with the state or the feds to manage their property in a certain way. So um, I know some people complain that the duck clubs, they get all the money, but you know, they're, they're providing really good habitat and we got to look at the bigger picture in terms of, you know, what they're bringing to the table for wildlife generally, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of good things out there that provide significant public benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is that, and that kind of covers the Sac Valley pretty much. Um, just a, a few more here. Um, Sac, Delavan, Calusa, um, you know, they're CVPIA refuges, so they're going to get, about 75% of their normal allocation of water, the level two water. Um, so their quotas should be just slightly reduced from last year. Um, and from what we've heard, there's going to be very little rice flooded on the west side of the valley. Most of the, the flooded rice you'll see on the east side. Hmm. So because wow. of that, th- those refuges are going to be the only game in town, um, you know, other than a few clubs up in the Lambertville area that will have water. So I would expect the hunting at those refuges to be pretty good early. Um, typically, if, if you're the only water, you're going to yeah. shoot. So, yep. It, of course, yeah. um, Sutter, you know, the other SAC complex refuge just always has water problems. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is supposed to be closed this year, basically, until there's enough rain to get enough water in the canal so they can lift that water into the wetlands. So, um, at least probably through November, it, it'll be closed down. I, I, I wouldn't expect that to be open if it's even going to be open until like mid December. Wow. Okay. Let me ask you a question that kind of, you said Sutter, right? Yeah. Okay. That's that. And I'm just telling you from lack of, of knowledge of it, that doesn't even make sense to me because when we do get water and we get flooded, guess who the first refuges is to close down. It's Sutter. Yeah. Yep. So why, how does that work both ways like that? Yeah, it's because, you know, Sutter's in the bypass and yeah. you get the water coming down there and it becomes a safety issue at some point and they have to close it down. But you, it, it's ironic. It's you, either it's it too is. dry there or it's under 10 feet of water. Yeah. And why can't we get more of a Yeah, like that a, totally threw me off when you said that. It's, <laughs> it's like it's what? at normal water levels for for a long period of Man. time rather than having these extremes. Yeah, know. Thomas drew a number one to Sutter that year that it flooded. What was that? How many years ago? Was that four or five years ago it flooded? It prob- six years, maybe? I thought it was like five. 16, 17 16, years. Yeah. yeah. Thomas got a number one in late season. We're just out of our mind stoked. <laughs> and like a week before our hunt, it, yeah. that's when the rain just started. And they're like, oh, closed. We're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Can we parlay this for next year? And that's what totally I'm like bitter about the <laughs> yeah. refuge now because like now they're saying, oh, well, if you don't have water, it's it shuts down. But if it has too much water, it shuts like what in the world? Very small window there, yeah. Yeah, it is it's, very small window. It's, it's crazy. Well, years ago you'd have that flood out, and then fishing game would send you a letter saying, you know, because you had to, you you were unable to use your hunt. Here's a pass to go to any other refuge on really? that day and use it. Yeah, wow. And so now that's, that's cool. Me, it, it was great because that was when YOLO wasn't shooting very well. And I put in over at YOLO and really didn't have any interest hunting over there at that time. Um, but it would flood out and you'd be able to go over a little dry Creek and be basically last in line on the reservation list. Instead of so, being, yeah. Instead of being the yeah. uh, lottery guy, then you actually get a bump ahead of them. That's kind of cool. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, they don't cool. do that anymore. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's bigger. true. That's yeah. too much work. And you yeah. don't even get a refund either. Yeah. So no. yeah. you're not no. getting anything out of it. No. Yeah. Just like all these deer hunters right now, all fighting to get their money back. It's like, well, Oh, now you know what us duck hunters feel yeah, like. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Good point. I good totally, point. I'm totally don't just, mean yeah, that. You just donated. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for your donation. It was a good sir. cause. It's yeah. a good cause. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, so, real so quick, Mark. Some of the other, 
Oh. Yeah, some of the other ones, Gray Lodge, um, it actually did get a good shot of water from Lake Oroville in the last couple of weeks. They found some water there, so mm. it should have a couple thousand acres flooded for the opener, so there should be a decent amount of birds over there. Upper Butte Basin, of the three areas there, Howard looks the best. It'll have the most water. Little Dry Creek is next, and then Lano Seco is going to have very little water. Um, but the good thing is I think all of those should be open for the opener. Um, Yolo wildlife area looks in decent shape. It did get curtailed on some of its water, but it should have quite a few of its uh, wetlands open and flooded for the opener. And then, uh, you know, the, really the best one of all of these is Grizzly, Grizzly. Island. I was gonna They're going to have a full, yep. full hunter quota with all their wetlands basically flooded up. Yeah, so, good as big as they are, a good thing. Yeah, and they they're able to flood early too, so that the hunting over there actually may be pretty good on opening day. I mean, I normally don't go over there, but this might be a year that yeah. you want to apply for grizzly okay. and mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah. yeah, last year was a loss. They had issues over there hmm. with the water, from what I heard. And this year, it's all good. That's, That's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. amazing how it changes from year to year. Yeah, you just never know. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's that was a that refuge produces. It may not be the best quality of duck, but yeah. There was a lot of opportunity there. I know a lot of guys that used to shoot that and get birds. But there are, you know, opening week, there are mallards well, over yeah, there. Yeah. So you got yeah. you got to find them, but they they are there. Yeah, they're there. Yep. Yep. Well, that's good. Oh. Losing Sutter, but gaining Grizzly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll quickly then move over to the San Joaquin Valley. Um, Volta, Los Banos, Gadwall, and Salt Slough. Those look pretty good. I mean, they have, are going to have slightly reduced hunt quotas as compared to last year, but you know, they're all, those are also CVPIA refuges, so they're in much better shape than a lot of other, other areas, so those might be places that you could get on via the sweat line and get some opportunity. Mm. Um, China Island, it's, you know, very small hunter quota of like 10. That's also similar to the opener for last year. So that, that will be open. It looks like, um, Mendota has about 70% of its normal water. Um, they're going to be doing a lot of staged flooding over there. So there's probably going to be somewhat of a reduced hunter quota at Mendota. Um, but the good thing is, you know, with the stage flood, flooding, as you get more later into the season, you know, they'll have a lot more uh, units that will open up, and hopefully the hunting will be good. Is that just the the managers that are making that call, like, okay, this is what it's going to be for today, and then we're going to add five more? They're the ones that kind of run that, right, the hunter quota? Yeah, I think they have, you know, the authority to determine exactly how they're going to flood up, and that that decision is left to them. And I got to agree with that. I mean, they know their refuge better than anybody. Mm -hmm. They should be the ones to make the final call as to how these areas flood up and what's uh, the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, San Luis and Kesterson um, look about similar to last year in terms of hunt quotas, and they'll, they'll be open for the opener, so that's good. Merced? Actually, it looks really good. It got decent water this year, and I think its quotas should be about the same as, as last year. Um, the one uh, that is going to be closed is down at the southern era, southern end of the valley. It's Kern mm. uh, National Wildlife Refuge. That's going to be closed till November, and when it, re- when it reopens, it's going to be with a reduced quota. They had a really difficult time getting their water this year, so okay, that's let me, uh, let me unfortunate ask- to hear. Let me ask you something to save all of ourselves some money and our bacon. Um, okay, so like say right now you can go on and you can put in for your applications for all these refuges. I'm just curious, is it not going to let you put in? Like if I go in right now and I go on Kern, is it not going to let you put in for October, whatever the opener weekend is? Or is it going to let you? Because you're kind of letting us know right now in advance, like, hey, if they're, if they're allowing you to do that, you're just wasting your money. Yeah. They typically, if, if the refuge is not going to be open, they're not going to even give you an opportunity to okay. put it, an okay. application in. So, yeah, you shouldn't be wasting your money. What you will see on the screen, if it's open, you know, then the plan is is to have that open for that hunt day. Yeah. And so you should be good. 
And yep. see, that's almost it's almost better. Uh, I mean, you, some guys wait to the last second, and then guys like me put it way, way early. But then they're, not everything's available, like you just said. So it might might behoove me to about three weeks before, so I give myself plenty of time not to miss the window. Mm-hmm. Is wait till then because I think more options would be available, and you would kind of know what's going on, right? People are going to know. Yeah, what's going on. I mean, I think that's a good good approach. I mean, you always want the latest information too. Mm-hmm. And of course, things can happen on wildlife areas. I mean, you could have, you know, a problem with the canal, or you could have uh, mm-hmm. any kind of a- any kind of issue that could all of a sudden drain a wetland or impact other parts of the area. So it's best to, I think, wait and see what the latest information is before making your decision. That's what I try yeah. to do yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good approach. It's hard not to. I mean, like right now, you know, you want to go in there and just do it, but eh, you're going to have to jump on there again anyways later and fill in the voids where whatever. But, yeah. Okay. Sorry. And then, yeah, the last one real quick, you know, Southern California, there is hunting down there, as you guys know. Um, From what I heard, San San Jacinto and Imperial Wildlife Areas, they actually, you know, have decent water this year. So their quotas should be similar to uh, last year's opener. So that's good because – you know, if you live in Southern California, those couple of refuges and maybe Kern are like your only yeah. opportunities within a few hours drive of your house. So we got to make sure that they have uh, opportunity down there. And at least these areas will provide that. Very nice. Cool. That's a lot. That's a lot of good information. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, hunting in California, at least you kind of got a an eye on what's going on. I mean, Again, I mean, it sounds hopeful. I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, str- I'm really not that stressed out about it or worried about it. Just kind of like you said, move with the punches. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's all you can do, right? I mean, we're in that La Nina year again, again, yep. which can't they say can't have more than two in a row? And last year was a La Nina, and I think we've talked about this before on the po- podcast. But I mean, as things are looking up for next year, I mean, it is what it is. It's weather; can't control it. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta deal with it. Some late, some late weather. I mean, it hurts when you're it, dealing with it, but yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, next year could be catastrophic, guys. Yeah, I mean, that's we talked about how the about the every six, seven year mark where we get we end up getting. I mean, Dude. I remember the three floods ago, or mm-hmm. I say floods. I mean, whatever you want to call it, lots of water. We were kayaking down the street as kids oh wow <laughs> you know yeah we got pictures of it we're yeah. literally so it's due it's one of these oh one yeah, of these years here year too everything is extremely low now the bar yeah. has gotten even lower with these reservoirs and everything else yeah. it's it's gonna take a like lot puddles some of these places we fly over it's like man it's like a puddle out there hey, hey mark just to, to, to switch gears a little on uh exclusively california um mm-hmm. What what are you thinking, you know, with with these droughts we talked about nationwide, you know, in our habitat areas in the States, Canada? Um, what I mean, what's your opinion on maybe season lengths, yeah. bag limits potentially getting reduced? What's have you heard anything or some mumblings that, you know, because we've been pretty lib for years Right now we're going yeah. on this mega drought and it's not just us. So, I mean, have you, what are you projecting? I mean, I don't want to, this isn't concrete, but what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. And of course they haven't been able to do the surveys in the last two years. So they've had to go more off historical data to come up with our regs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would assume they're going to do, you know, the surveys this c- coming year, um, next, you know, starting next May, hopefully they'll be able to do that. Um, if the drought persists up there, it's certainly, you know, possible that then at least some of the flyways could go into a moderate package rather than a liberal, and that would cut down their season length and perhaps even the bag limit. I'd have to look at, you know, how they do it for each, uh, flyway, each flyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is for us in the, you know, Western, uh, Pacific flyway, we're on the Western Mallard model, and that model, um, it would be so difficult for us to get 
kicked into a moderate framework because of the way the model was set up that I think we're going to have liberal regulations here for quite some time. Okay. So even if there's, it continues to be a very big drought in the prairies, I still think we're going to get a liberal framework here in California. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's all, that's all because, you know, we go off of the Western Mallard, um, what they're doing and, you know, not only in California and Oregon, but Washington, Alaska, Alberta, areas like that. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of insulates us from the, you know, droughts that are in the prairies. It's not going to affect our regulations like it would for say the central flyway and other flyways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So central Mississippi, you guys are on notice. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. you know? Yeah. Your four yep. mallards might have just came down to three, right? In in the Mississippi Flyway, Arkansas, stuff like that. Potentially. I'm not gonna, you know, but mm. now the you know, as you know, we're all though on a continental management plan for pintail. So, you know, if anybody gets their regulations changed because of what pintail populations are doing, if one fly away gets that, all the other flyways oh, yep. are gonna get that. Mm. Yep. So we're kinda all in that together. Um, unfortunately, again, that, uh, <laughs> the impact is mostly on California because we winter so many of yeah. them here. Uh-huh. Um, so it's kind of disproportionate that way, but that's the way us fish and wildlife service wants to approach it that, Hey, this is a continentally shared resource and we need to manage it as such. Just, just with the pintails, right? Just with the pintails. Why, correct. why is that? Why is that like that? Part of the reason is they were so prolific, um, even into the 1970s, um, that uh, when their populations crashed, and then that was also during a drought period in the 1980s and early 90s. Um, other after we came out of that drought, other duck populations started going up, mm-hmm. but pintail did not recover, uh. and so because of that, the service I think wanted to treat them you know, on an individual basis because they were not behaving the way other waterfowl were in terms of their response to better water conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I mean, the root cause of their problem is changing farming practices in Canada. They just don't have the nesting stubble um, available to them like they, they had historically. So when you go out in Canada now and you see pintail nesting, it's in these very open areas. Yeah. They're, you know, using their farm equipment out there. I'm sure a lot of nests are lost, but there's just not enough nesting cover for them to survive and, you know, successfully hatch um, their eggs out. Yeah. Yeah. With that being said, you know, they didn't recover from some droughts, right? Mm -hmm. Some some pretty nasty droughts. Well, we're in some right now, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Could not be good for the sprig outcome. Yeah. But no. we've anticipated at least in the short term. In the yeah. short term, yeah. yeah. You know, I know we've been everybody here's Jones and for some more sprig, but when you get lumped in as a whole, right. very, very so, tough to overcome. So on that note, you know, we have asked the US Fish and Wildlife Service and the flyways to come up with a new model to manage pintail that hopefully will be um we'll look at harvest as more compensatory rather than additive. And they have agreed to, to do that work mm-hmm. at their most recent flyway level um, flyway meetings. I should say they announced a schedule for getting that work done. And it looks like by 2023, that new uh, model will be in place. Now the new model could spit out, you know, some bad stuff. The same, yeah. The same scenario that we have now, that yeah. all you're going to get is one or maybe two in good pintail production years. But they are considering the three-bird you know, limit, and so hopefully at the end of the day, the model will include that as an option. We'll just have to see. But the good thing is, it is on a timetable now. We, along with Delta Waterfowl and Ducks Unlimited and a couple other groups, just sent a letter to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and Department of Interior requesting that they stay on that schedule because the last thing we need to hear is, Oh, you know, we got to delay this for another year. And then to have to tell California hunters again, you got to wait another year for this to get done. I think people would come with 
pitchforks and torches and yeah probably go come out of the woodwork um they'd be so pissed off so hopefully they will stick to the schedule and yeah by 2023 we'll have a different uh set of uh or a different model for pintail and hopefully a different set of regulations yeah we could be hopeful yeah nothing may change though i've heard a lot of biologists california biologists say that too so i mean but be hopeful yeah like I mean, they're like really confident that that's going to be like that around by then. They, from what I heard, that with the early parts of the modeling they were doing, they were recognizing that harvest was not really the problem. It's more of a habitat issue. So mm-hmm. hopefully, yeah. in some way, that gets built into the model. And frankly, the latest you know scientific papers on pintail really do support that that it's not a harvest issue, and that you know, frankly, you could probably raise the bag limit up to four or five and it's really not going to make a big difference on uh, the total harvest or at least on the the population as a whole. You're yeah. not going to have significant negative effects to the population yeah. by doing that. Right. And that's not, it sounds crazy. That's but... objective. That's yeah. real data. Right, right. Right. You, yeah, we have that support from the science, right? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the papers I've looked at, I mean, they have, said it would be great if we could have like a series of experimental years where you raise the pintail limit up to three, four, five, Mm -hmm. and then see what happens. You know, let's test this theory out. And, you know, after three to five year period, then go back and see what the impact is on that, those populations. Because if you never do something like that, you'll never learn. Never know. You got it. You sometimes you have to kind of you know, get outside of your normal uh, framework, if you will, and try new things um, to learn more and to hopefully then develop better models that more accurately reflect what's going out on the landscape. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've been living the one and two bird or one and two pintail and nothing's changed. Yeah, true. Yep. Yep. Has that, has, it's weird has, how that works. has those regulations helped the pintail to recover? No, mm-hmm. we definitely know that. Yep. Wow. That's crazy. Well, I don't know if, do I think we're, we're kind of hitting the 50 minute mark. I mean, I think 50, um, do you want to, mm-hmm. do you have anything else you want to share or do you want to say it for next time? Um, the only other thing, you know, we're working on a lot of stuff to try to increase our local mallards. As you guys know, I mean, they've, been in trouble now for like last 20 years i mean their populations have been declining so of course one of the keys to that is fixing klamath mm-hmm. and we put a lot of time and effort into that um, we're also doing this delayed wheat harvest program which has shown some good promise in terms of getting um, wheat farmers to delay their harvest to allow the eggs to hatch out and you know letting those uh ducklings then uh, get to maturity and survive rather than being churned up in the combine. That'd be huge. Yeah. Yep. That's been so going that, on for a couple of years now, right? That program. Yep. Yep. And it showed a lot of promise. Um, we're also working on some legislation, which I'm glad to say just hit the governor's desk. So it's gone through the legislature, which would help fund um, a program that we put in the fishing game code several years ago called the nesting bird habitat incentive program. And the whole focus of that program is paying farmers, duck clubs, and other landowners to maintain nest cover for, for specifically for mallards and pheasants. I mean, those are the two targeted species. Uh-huh. And as you know, in addition to mallards, the pheasants have been really on a long-term decline. I mean, it's hardly oh, yeah. you know what, a time anymore that you can drive down the road and even see them. I mean, right. gosh, you know, I got to shit when my we do see them. I have to like stop the car and <laughs> right. show my kids because. Right. My kids have never seen a wild pheasant, you know. I used to see so many a when I was a kid. Remarkable thing for them. Yeah, yep. yeah. And I, I mean, everywhere. and I probably caught the downside of it at my oh, age, yeah. right? You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah, even then there was tons. You could hear them all in the morning. We lived out in the country. You'd hear them every morning. Oh yeah, they're crowd. Yeah. Now, Mark, sure. speaking speaking on that legislation. Yep. Um, that's going to be something's going to be increased by ten dollars, I think, right? Yeah. So to pay for that, we are proposing to increase the duck stamp by $10 and the upland stamp by $10 because, you know, this would benefit both waterfowl and ground nesting, um, upland game birds. 
So I know nobody wants to pay more for their licenses. We already have very high license fees. Eight dollars more this year. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> no, it's just I'm funny sorry. every year you see the jump. It's like, yeah. man. Yeah. You compare it though to other costs for hunting. I mean, look at ammunition, it's gone through the roof. You know, you travel, you pay a lot for that. Equipment, shotgun, uh, vest or waders if you're duck hunting. There's so many other costs. Paying an additional $10 one time a year is not going to make or break anybody. I mean, I really don't think anybody's going to give up hunting because you're going to have to pay $10 more for that stamp. No. And at least the stamp is going for something that they care about and right. will, in the long term, improve their hunting opportunity. You know, yeah. no, I, I no personally one's gonna... am willing to pay a little bit more if that's yeah. going to increase my hunting opportunity yeah. for for species that I covet most, right? Well, I know a lot of people that will go buy five and ten stamps just because of the fact yeah, of what it does. Absolutely, but it—I mean, it's just weird. It's funny that you talked about. So, is that for sure going up? It has to be signed by the governor. I mean, oh, you could oh, veto gotcha. it, and yeah. it could be kaput. Um, but we'll find out here in the next few well, he'll weeks. Well, he'll pass it because anything that costs more money, he'll they'll pass. So. <laughs> no, he might stick it to us too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like, that's nope, a good. That's I'm a not good helping thing. you. Yeah, no, right. I will not. No, he's just gonna look at it like, oh, it costs more money for people. Yeah, let's do that. So that should pass easily, I'm sure. But no, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm not definitely not talking bad about that. But it is funny because we were just talking. Uh, I was talking to some friends the other day. Like the only thing that doesn't go up is the duck stamp, and now here we are. Yeah. But, but you like spoke it, too soon. Yeah, yeah, it's for it's for a good thing. But well, the, the federal stamp went up by ten dollars back, I believe, in two thousand fifteen, and coincidentally, that was also to support breeding waterfowl because it's going to protect primarily lands in the prairie pothole region where you know the duck factory is. So it's really very similar to what mm -hmm. we're doing yeah. here. Um, we're just trying to benefit our own local birds, which, as you guys know, are under stress right now. Right. There's no doubt about it. And um, Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, and us duck hunters and anybody I think that hunts, you know, we're great uh, conservationists mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we put a ton of money back into the sport. Yeah. What's 10 more bucks? Right. Or right. 20, you mm -hmm. know? We're used yeah. to it out here. Yeah. <laughs> but no. it's, you said the federal stamp, though, right? The federal stamp went up in 2015. Right, but yeah. I thought that's what you were saying with this. Are you just saying the California ducks? No, this will just be the California the duck stamp and the upland stamp. Oh, both are I thought go you were talking about the 10. federal. No, no. And I will say when that federal duck stamp went up, the next year they looked at the data and they could not find any um, correlation in terms of less people hunting because of that no. there was no drop in stamp sales so at least when that was done it did not deter people from buying their stamps yeah no that ain't that i don't see 100 that's gonna even they might squawk a little bit just because but then there ain't no way they're not well, i'm not yeah. hunting this year for 20 oh, yeah. more dollars like who no yeah. one's gonna do that yeah so. yeah <clears throat> okay yeah you know, habitat's the key. I mean, that's what we need to focus on. Yeah. And so we're trying to base this off of data. In fact, as you guys know, we had a lot of our own, some of our own members who wanted to change regulations and tweak that. Um, you know, we just think that the better way to deal with this whole mallard issue is just to get more habitat out on the ground. That's going to produce more birds for everybody to shoot. Uh, just tinkering with the regulations is not going to, solve the problem no no i agree but it also habitat is hard to come by here mark yeah and you have to pay a lot for it i mean the cost of everything here is high and so it's it's not going to be cheap to do this but we do know when we have done these kind of nest cover project projects in the past in the valley on you know on a small scale basis the data that we have collected from those have really shown very high nest success, uh, much more so than you would normally see. And so if, as long as we target the right areas, of course, we want to have it near brood water. So those ducklings have a place to go. I think it can really help um, to make a difference. It's not going to be a silver bullet, but it will definitely help to address the, the mallard issue as a whole. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I think uh, we'll... We're about to hit the hour mark, so I appreciate you again, uh, Mark, for coming on. I meant to get you on sooner, but just I've been busy and out of town, so we're glad to have you back on the podcast, and I know we'll we'll get you on again 
as the season progresses Great. and goes on. So I think a lot of good information there. I appreciate that and appreciate what you, you're doing with the CWA too. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I look forward to, you know, seeing some of your videos once we hit season here. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. So, all right guys. Well, thanks for listening in and, uh, we appreciate all the support and we'll see you next week. <laughs>